everything is awesome. I saw this like a second Lego movie. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Recommend or Oh, it's yeah, good. It's really good. As good as the first? Yeah, pretty close. I, I think I need a little bit more time to really determine if it is, but uh they did a good job with it. The the way that they handled uh it being sort of a metaphor for their interaction between the brother and sister was pretty entertaining in the way they made fun of like toddlers transitioning to making fun of angsty teenagers and stuff like that. Oh, nice. Nice. So, uh, I came downstairs and I hadn't started this computer in a while. Uh, I guess it ended up, uh, powering off for some reason when the, uh, actually when the breaker ended up tripping, that would do it. Yeah. I, uh, start the computer. I, uh, turn it on. I start Firefox and Firefox is like, do you want to restore your session? I'm like, wait, what did I have running? (laughs) <laughs> so I restore my session and oh yeah, a progress quest. Hooray. Oh, awesome. How far yeah. did you get? So progress quest. I am now level 12. All right. Um, yeah. So I am uh, now in act two. Act two is done. Act three. I am in the middle of, I'm about, I'd say a third of the way through. Yippee. So uh Yeah. Uh, just to remind everybody, my name is Prukut. I am a double Wookiee of the class Robot Monk. Always the best class. Also the worst class. From what I recall before, your favorite class was Demi-Canadian. Yeah, that one's pretty good too. <laughs> Podcast All right, welcome to ALH, and let's get started with some follow-up. When I was doing the show notes for uh, last episode, I was trying to figure out for the life of me whether or not it was actually true that uh, the Ludicrous Speed update is a software update. So um, I was uh, trying to do a lot of Googling to see whether or not uh, that was the case. And according to Tesla Roddy, it actually is the case that um, upgrading your car to Ludicrous Speed within the new Tesla's is now a software update that you can do after the fact. Yeah, it took me a while to find that on the link because it's only like a single line in the entire article. Formerly P100D, ludicrous mode performance upgrade available after purchase via over the air software update. Though it's unclear how much more you have to pay if you don't buy it with it. Yeah, I mean, it's already a $20,000 upgrade when buying the car. What's it going to be now? 25? Yeah, I don't know. I guess we can have additional follow-up next time. Well, I mean, one thing that was really annoying is on the Tesla website, when you're actually configuring your car, it doesn't specifically say on the website that you can upgrade. Hmm. Even uh, not not just for ludicrous speed, but also for the um, the distance upgrade. It doesn't actually say that. Yeah, it doesn't say about being able to do that after the fact in the uh, configurator there. They've been trying to pare their configurator down so much that uh, it's starting to lose some of its usefulness when it when it comes <laughs> to uh, finding out extra information. A little bit too clean there. I mean, I uh, <laughs> what I imagine here is uh, I imagine they have some UI people who are specifically dedicated to things like you know the build process and the checkout and all that, mm-hmm. and. Uh, I can imagine that it's their job solely just to uh, own this. And they think, how can we make this better? How can we make this better? How can we pare this down? 
And uh, you kind of get into this tunnel mindset where you think about paring things down so much that it, uh, the page itself ends up becoming really bare and basic. Though, to be fair, it is a lot easier to use than a lot of other manufacturers' configurators. Sometimes it is utterly confusing how exactly to get the options that you want to get. When I was going through like the Jeep Wrangler configurator a while back, uh, it took me a long time to really understand what you get with each of the trims and everything. Yeah, that's true. I was actually looking at Toyota Avalon's. I want to say um, about a week ago or so, and the same thing. the uh, The trim level isn't exactly the clearest, but then I can't help but think that uh, maybe this is on purpose due to the the completely unfriendly way of buying a car for uh, most non Tesla cases. What like what uh, Scott Adams calls a confusopoly. The pricing structure is so obtuse that you can't help but kind of get ripped off. Well, yeah, but I mean, it's uh, it's not just the whole ripoff part. It's the fact that uh, when you buy a car from somewhere else, for the most part, they want you to buy one of the cars that's on the lot. Yeah. So when you're doing a comparison, you're not necessarily doing a comparison against all the different trim options. You're mm-hmm. comparing against cars that are actually there on the lot. Yeah, that that is another one of my annoyances when buying a non-Tesla car is it is very difficult to find on a particular lot what you actually want. And a lot of times getting them billed to order is not going to get you the best deal. So have you ever bought a car built to order that's not a Tesla? No, the closest I got was the BMW. And that one was still one that was on the lot. I just happened to find one that was close to what i wanted but not quite and even then Mm -hmm. like when i actually went in there the one that they had there was had a couple of extra options i didn't want i could have done like european delivery and probably even saved money but i i didn't really have the time for it i mean the feeling i get when uh if you're getting a car built to order or something close to being built to order is that you're you're paying close to uh, msrp they know that you want something exact, which uh, reduces your negotiating ability. It's irritating. And sometimes they can easily get the car that you want, but they make it act as though it took an act of God. <laughs> like, um, I had thought about getting a, uh, a Ford Focus TI when I first moved over to Kirkland just because I needed a car like right then. And I found one that looked like it should be in someone's lot. And I went over to them and they're like, oh, we have the, this particular configuration option. It's the only one in the state. I'm like, sure it is. And uh, I'm like, so we, can I get this price? They're like, oh, yeah, sure. And they come back and it's not that price. And then like, this is not the price. And they're like, oh, we had to add this. This has to be there. I'm like, but that's not what you said. And they come back again. And it's like the same price. I'm like, I'm going, I'm leaving. And so I walked out and then they tried to chase me down. I'm like, nope, you lost your chance. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, a lot of the time when uh, people walk out, it's actually a tactic because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's, it's not a, it's a sales tactic, but on the uh, customer side. Right. So in my particular case, I was actually willing to walk out if I did not get the price that they had said that they would give me. 
So um, I have a family member who's actually a car salesman. And what he was telling me is that uh, the margin within actual auto sales is like really, really low now. Mm-hmm. And uh, and what they try and do now, rather than make their money on the car, they try and make their money off of things like warranties and service and right. that kind of stuff. There's, there's the whole like four square thing. Like there's the financing part, there's the trade-in part, there's the car part, and I forget what the last of the four squares is. That yeah, they 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 shift around numbers. They they ask you what you want to pay per month, and then they shift around things to make themselves the most profit. Oh, yeah. And I mean, it's uh, <laughs> like uh, you say you want to pay $300 a month, for instance, for a car. I mean, that might be over six years. I've, I've heard that people would go in and uh, well, they asked, are you, are you financing the car? And they say, yeah, I'm going to finance the car. And then they negotiate a price in the car and then they go, oh, actually, I'm going to pay cash. <laughs> so to, to sort of get around that and get a little bit better price. What I used to hear is that you could get a better deal with a cash purchase. But I mean, I guess that's totally not the case anymore. No, it's not the case anymore. You can mm-hmm. like make them very, you, you can make them a little bit more eager to close the deal because they know that you should be able to manage it. But mm-hmm. uh, you're, you're not going to get a better price by saying cash. You'll just manipulate the other boxes appropriately. And this whole nonsense is part of why I prefer the Tesla build to order always the same price. Don't have to think about it method. It might be that I can't get a quote discount, but at least I know I am getting the appropriate price. Yeah. And you're also getting a better shopping experience too. Yeah. And there's a lot less pressure and stuff like that. Yeah. And you are getting exactly the car that you want. Or at least exactly the car that they offered now. Yes. <laughs> I mean, that that's a whole different thing, them not having uh, some of the options that they used to have. But uh, yeah, I still don't know what I'm going to do about the third row seats. <laughs> You're not going across three states in order to get exactly the car that you want. Shall we go to the next topic? Sure. So I was going to do a brief update on our product overtime segment with the vector and this has been now a few months and basically i have not used it for a while and so it will probably be the the last update until i get some use out of it or i explore their sdk or something it is fizzled (laughs) for for anyone thinking of getting a vector uh apparently there is a rapid downward slope and fizzling out after a few months. You know what I think would be great is that uh, if you don't turn on the vector for a few months and turn it back on, it's like sad and sullen for a little bit. Well, maybe with the SDK, I could program that. <laughs> Emo vector. Sparkly vector. So uh, what's this other thing you have on Product Over Time? So the new thing that I'm introducing on Product Over Time is a... USB autoscope, and uh, you know what an autoscope is, right? Not off of the top of my head. So when you go and to a doctor and uh, complaining about like an infection or something, and they stick the thing in your ear to look inside your ear, that's the autoscope. Oh, okay. For a while, I was having some problems with my left ear 
Uh, it felt like it was constantly getting infected and whatnot. And so I went to the doctor and they basically said, oh, you have earwax in there that was stuck. And they tried to clean it and failed um, and basically said, go and use this earwax loosening stuff uh, and then come back and we'll try again. And <clears throat> have since I don't really like scheduling doctor's appointments, uh, and I actually had uh, only gone to them because I had tried using the washing stuff first and uh, failed. And so after I went home, I tried again a couple more times and finally felt like I got the stuff out of my ear. Uh, but I wanted to be sure. And so I ordered a USB otoscope and went and looked into my ears and could see my eardrum and it was not covered with wax. Uh, and so success. It was kind of entertaining to use. I just sort of out of a random curiosity of what the inside of my ear looks like. And I could plug it into my computer and I actually used photo booth in order to look inside my ear. <laughs> really? Yeah. Uh, because booth. it just is just a USB camera. So, um, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I did not go and do the photo booth image modifications to see that's weird. where I, that's where my mind was going all those colorful effects inside of your ears that's that's definitely something we need to put pictures of right <laughs> that would that would scare away our audience real fast yeah and so i also looked at my other ear while i was at it and that one looked clear and then i decided i did not need to go back to the doctor um i'm sure that any physicians that are listening to this are like no get your doctor's opinion um, mm. but I don't like doing that. So I didn't. So uh, I'm, I'm imagining here, like how long is your USB cable here? It's just like a few feet. So I okay. plugged it into my laptop and sat at my desk and then, uh, aimed it inside my ear. And since it's real time updating, uh, I wiggled it around until I could see things and it, it worked out. And so of course I have this new toy and, uh, I tried it on my family, who were then <laughs> grossed out by the insides of their own ears. This is uh, this is the nerdiest thing I have ever heard. <laughs> um, but overall, I'm, I'm pretty happy with it, and we'll see if I continue to use it in the future as family members have ear problems, uh, or if it will sit and this will be the only time it ever gets used. So tell me, how much is this? It was like 30 bucks. <laughs> Did they have an HDMI version? No, no HDMI <laughs> version. I could not. I guess I could use Air, AirPlay to put it on my big screen. But... <laughs> nice. Very nice. This is not something I did. I mean, that that just seems like such a crazy low amount of money. Yeah, they're like. They're like super cheap. It's like cheaper than the actual non-video autoscopes. I mean, it, it just seems so surprising. But then, but then, what I remember now is that uh, I have um, a friend who does property management, and he has a snake, like you know, the plumbing snake. He he has one with a, a camera at the end. Yeah, those are pretty common as well. 
So you can actually see like the branches that might need to be cut and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And the blockages and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So yes, this is the future. Cameras everywhere, including in your ears. Uh, so uh, what is... The- <laughs> can't believe we're talking about this. Uh, so um, how long are we going to give ourselves until we follow up on the USB autoscope? I'm going to say about a month from now, because this seems like the kind of thing that's probably not going to get used that often, but I'll, I'll give an update in a month. Oh, I'm cautiously optimistic that uh, you'll be looking inside, <laughs> looking inside your wife and your kids ears periodically over the next month. So the next thing that we have is Samsung uh, had a big press event, and the major thing that was unique and interesting was their product called the Galaxy Fold, which I guess is going to be available April 26th and cost $1,980, so expensive. The main feature that sets it apart is you can fold it in half, and so you can carry it around to something roughly the size of a phone, and then it can open up. And it's roughly the size of a small tablet. And it looks like it has sort of one folding screen. And then on the other side, it has like a regular sort of phone screen. But that phone screen on the on the closed side looks kind of not great. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, when the phone is actually folded, I thought that the... Uh dimensions aren't particularly fantastic it was clearly how can we fit a tablet in your pocket more than how can we make a good phone mm-hmm. i mean uh honestly uh looking at this i think i thought along those lines that uh it would be great to have something that is just a tablet mm-hmm. where uh you pretty much you unfold the tab you have the tablet in the pocket and you unfold it and bang, there's a tablet. I I mean, I can certainly see the market for it, uh, though this particular instance does not seem like the most polished thing in the world. It looks like they heard rumors about maybe Apple or someone else doing something similar and wanted to beat them to the punch. Let's be honest here. Is anything that uh, Samsung does software-wise the most polished thing? Uh, no, but this is, this is their hardware that doesn't look that polished. I mean, it seems like they should have tried a little bit harder to make the closed mode a little bit nicer. And then there's other stuff like they have the notch on the upper right hanging corner, which looks super weird. Other things like, uh, when they're showing it off, it appears that it's pretty obvious that there's like a crease down the center when it's opened up, stuff like that. I do kind of also wonder about like sort of the the ergonomics of it. Like, does it like snap in place after it's opened? I guess it must, because otherwise, when you're using it, it might be really awkward and squish back together and stuff like that. See, um, where is this going to be available? Because I actually would like to go play with one. Uh, I don't know if there still is, but there used to be a Samsung store in New York. Where it's sort of like the Apple store where they're basically just displaying products. Well, I mean, uh, if I'm going to buy a $2,000 phone, what's another $500 for a flight to New York? But, um, I mean, overall, I guess uh, part of why we even brought this up is 
My understanding is that almost all of the manufacturers except for Apple are going to be doing folding phones this year. Do we know that Apple's not? Uh, We are fairly certain that Apple is not going to be doing it this year. They may eventually end up doing one, say 2020, 2021, but... Then there's like things like, well, how about a roll-up phone? Like like the LG roll-up TV. I'll, I'll admit the LG roll-up TV looks pretty slick. Yeah, I just don't know what the compromise is when it comes to things like image quality and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Supposedly, the people who saw the LG TV said it looks just as good as their other OLEDs, except that it rolled down into a box. Looking at the the Samsung Fold, I mean, do you see this as being something that will eventually uh, become the default when it comes to phones? Or do you see this as just being a fad or some kind of subdivision? I I think it's probably in between. So just like there were both candy bar and clamshell phones will probably have both well candy bar and clamshell or folding uh, otherwise folding phones for the big screens sort of a repeat of history i think is how this gonna is going to play out a lot of people are going to get one just because the concept is pretty cool yeah i agree with you i guess where my mind is is that i want to see the ipad be like this more than I'd like a phone like this. Uh, yeah, yeah, a, a full-sized iPad. I wonder how hard it would be to do like multiple folds. I guess you could do a trifold or something. It might be. <laughs> Why do I see Microsoft doing that? Well, part of the reason they probably wouldn't do a trifold is that uh, the way it ends up stacking. Right. Well, you fold one one way, and then you fold the one the other way. It's just, I, I imagine it being, you know, the tactile feel and aesthetics being kind of weird. That you have one side that ends up folding, uh, you know, folding close to the other, and then one that doesn't fold as much. No, 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 you just fold one, you, you have the middle section, and you fold one section about the middle section one way, and you fold one about the middle section the other way. Oh, you're saying fold it back. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. I'm not sure if they would want to do that specifically because then the screen would be exposed. Well, then you just use it as a mini tablet when it's in that mode. Oh, uh, yeah, that's, fair. that's the, fair. The bigger question is like how that would impact stuff like uh, cameras because that would ma- that might that make that more difficult. We, we, we just need flush cameras that are invisible when the display is turned on. Right. <laughs> and this is why we aren't hardware designers. Yeah, this is the beginning of OLED folding land. So on to Apple stuff. Sure. It would appear that there are rumors of an Apple credit card. The It's supposedly like roughly 2% back with most purchases and then probably more on Apple stuff. Then they wanted to have like special features or whatever. And I'm not entirely sure what that would entail. I, I guess probably better integration with their Apple Pay stuff. You know what would actually be a decent uh, thing is if you could use your line of credit for Apple Pay. Like, say, for instance, uh, you know how you can send money directly to somebody using Square Cash, but then it ends up being it ends up being like, what is it, 3% or something of your so, purchase? So basically using it for 
Apple Pay, but without the fees. Or at least having a really, really low fee. Maybe, but then that seems like it could be abused. I guess if Apple also controls the credit card, it's not as big of a deal because then they can't just like go and you can't can't just do like the spending for the free money back. But uh, when Venmo first started, uh, they did not have fees for bringing money in for a credit card. I, I would basically buy everything with Venmo that I could like pay my rent or whatever so I could get the cash back. That that didn't last too long. So basically, it acted as though you're doing a credit card transaction to, where you're paying money to Venmo, but then you got cash out of it. So it was effectively mm-hmm. free money. Oh, okay. Well, and there are there yeah. are limits per month. So like theoretically, I could go and uh, Venmo someone my rent, and then they could transfer that money back to me. And then I would have my money back, and I would have the two percent, the one or two percent back uh, from my credit card. Yeah, that so that that was something that I'm sure that Venmo realized was happening, and it was built into their like monthly limits. But yeah, you, you can sort of have an infinite cycle of free money if you don't give them limits. If uh, in that case, uh, and I guess you could kind of do the same thing, like you do that. You Apple Pay someone if, and it goes from the credit card. And then I guess maybe they just wouldn't get the cash back for that and it would be fine. Since they have control of that. But when it's two separate entities, it's very abusable. Yeah, they were saying that uh, the credit card that they're working on isn't going to have any sort of um, reward stuff. That it's just simply going to be a cash back thing. So do you think that you would get an Apple credit card? I have no idea. It would depend on the offers, to be honest. So assuming that there is no annual fee... And that you get extra money back on Apple hardware, uh, then more like more money back than you could otherwise get. I would probably do it just because I spend way too much money on Apple hardware. This is the same reason that I have an Amazon credit card, because you get way more money back on Amazon stuff. And I buy so much stuff from Amazon. I have, I want to say, what is it, four or five credit cards but I have one that I generally use, mm-hmm. which uh, I try and do all my purchases and stuff on the credit card, and then I just pay it off in full at the end of the month. Yep. And uh, and I try and make sure that the credit card I use is something that actually has a decently high limit. Mm-hmm. So if I decide that I want to go out and uh, buy something expensive, that uh, the only card that I have on me that I'm carrying around isn't going to end up getting declined because it has you know some stupid low limit on it. Mm-hmm. So for me, um, I would actually, I would debate switching over and having the Apple one be the primary credit card, depending on one, the benefits Mm -hmm. and uh, two, what the limit would end up being. I don't necessarily keep everything to just one credit card, sort of out of necessity because I do a lot of Costco shopping. So there is the money on the Costco card and then I do a lot of Amazon shopping. So there's the money on the Amazon card. And then I have my business, and so then there's the business stuff on my business card. Yeah, I'm I'm not including my business purchases. I mean, the business purchases do go on the business card. So I have at least three, and if Apple comes, then I probably have at least four, because everyone will have their own situations where you get the most money back. One of the main constraints for me is that I only really want to have one physical credit card, I mean, With on you. me when I go around. Yeah, because uh, I don't carry a wallet anymore. 
Mm-hmm. I just have um I have an iPhone case that has uh room for my ID mm-hmm. and room for one credit card, so I just choose that one credit card. Now, in the future, I mean, I'm hoping within the next two to three years that uh, one, there will be a lot more places that are going to be entirely contactless, right? Which in that case, I would just go ahead and I would load all of my credit cards within the phone and, you know, use Apple Pay for everything. Right. And then the second thing is that what I'm hoping is that eventually that um, things like IDs will be able to be stored in the wallet app. Mm hmm. So you don't need to take your your license or anything? Right. Yeah. But uh, just so basically I don't have uh, – it's all on the phone or eventually all on the watch. I think there exists some states that have approved that, but I'm not 100% sure. Yeah, there there are states that have uh, started trial programs for that, but uh, my understanding is California isn't one of them. Mm. There was a bill in California which was going to propose that, but I believe it ended up getting blocked. Oh, well. I know it's kind of a, a workaround, but one of the things I was debating on doing is finding uh, one of those apps where you can pretty much put any kind of image and put that on your wallet, put that within wallet. So what I was thinking of doing was just taking a picture of my ID and putting it in wallet just so if I don't have it on me, I can show it to people. But then if I end up getting pulled over, that's not going to be good. No, no, it would not. Like, hey, Mr. Officer, uh, I don't have my driver's license on me, but I have the scan of my driver's license and you can punch in the, uh, the you can punch in my driver's license and you'll see that it's me. But yeah. I'd probably end up getting ticketed anyway. Yeah. So um, I'm curious about it. I just uh, I guess it depends on the offer. It's kind of it's like anything else they do that. Uh, is it any good will be uh, the difference between whether or not I'll get it and use it. I mean, if they're like, say, for instance, I uh, I sign up for the credit card and they give me, you know, something like a $3,000 limit, then no, I'm not going to make that my primary card. I, I can't imagine Apple doing that, though. I mean, like, I guess unless you have really low credit, but like that sort of really limits like the hard Apple hardware you could purchase. So Right, right. Hey, Apple, give me a $15,000 credit limit so I can max out one of your machines. They're going to find like the the most expensive thing that they sell. Me make sure that their credit card <laughs> supports it. You have been approved for eighteen thousand two hundred forty nine dollars and ninety five cents on your credit card. Uh, do we have anything else to say about the Apple credit card? No, just be good. <laughs> so, another Apple related thing is. They we have discussed previously the potential transition to ARM, uh, but now Intel says that uh, they're expecting Apple to transition to ARM next year. So I guess 2020. Do you think that they're correct about this? I mean, like maybe they're seeing reduced orders or reduced interest in their roadmap, or maybe it's just a negotiating tactic by Apple. Well, I mean, something to consider is that. Uh... Intel and Apple do work rather closely when it comes to the CPUs that are going within their future laptops and computers and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, say, for instance, they're talking about computers two or three years out and uh, Intel ends up seeing a gap. You know, we're not talking about what CPU is going to go within the MacBook Air. Hmm. I wonder Mm -hmm. what's up with that. Yeah. So, I mean, I I could see them... uh, you know, having 
some kind of anomaly within their talks and their discussions and their planning. And then uh, as a result, them anticipating that. And I mean, the main reason that Intel would even say this is, you know, simply for stock price so that, uh, you know, they take the hit now and it ends up being baked in by the time that they announce it. That's that's the other thing. It's Axios that's reporting this. But do we have an actual quote from Intel here? Yeah, it's just what we're hearing. I It might be... Did do you, I don't see any actual official Intel quotes. It's uh, Axios reporting it. Well, I mean, part of what it may be is also is that Intel isn't. Uh, they're probably bound by confidentiality, so that they probably can't publicly say that. So, what are your thoughts and prayers about Axios? <laughs> so, the Axios article quote. Although the company is yet to say so publicly, developers and Intel officials have privately told Axios they expect such a move as soon as next year. Okay. So, so uh, I mean, they're basically, uh, they're doing it because the company itself is probably under NDA, but it's, uh, it's a leak to reporters. Yeah. Is, uh, I, have you heard of Axios before? Like they, I don't really recognize them as like a journalistic entity. Yeah, uh, but they're more. I mean, they're more political. Okay. Usually, than uh, than tech. That might be why I don't run into them very often. It says, "quote" on in their thought bubble. "quote If anything, Bloomberg timeline suggests that Intel might actually have more Mac business in 2020 than some had been expecting." So, where? I see this going is that uh, they may not necessarily make all of their products be their Mac or be their Mac Apple arm thing next year, but it may just be one product. Yeah. We'd sort of discussed before about which one it might be, whether they want to start with a low end or if they want to start with like a coprocessor for the Mac pro or something. Mm hmm. And I really do think that, like, sort of the coprocessor route or possibly reversed with the Intel being the coprocessor in the Mac Pro uh, is the way to go for this transition. Because then you start at a smaller scale, you can work the bugs out, you're dealing with people who are more technical anyway, stuff like that. You know what I'd find completely fascinating is if the new revamped Mac Pro that comes out this year ends up having the whole... Uh, Apple ARM chip. That's exactly what I meant. Yeah, it's just that that would be 2019 and not 2020. Oh, that's true. But mm-hmm. I I don't know that we'll even see the Mac Pro this year since they have still not mentioned really anything about it. And I'm guessing that we'll see a preview of it at WWDC and then maybe it will hit before December. Watch, they end up saying that... Uh, it's on sale in December of 2019, and then uh, they just ship a couple out the door, but it's mainly sold in 2020. It's like Intel's paper releases. Oh, I remember those. Do they still do that? Uh, I haven't really checked on the timing between release and availability recently. Do you follow CPUs the same way? No. I mean, as yeah, me neither. I, I care very little about uh, the improvements in CPUs recent like any time within the last i don't know even 10 years it's all it's all gpus for me 
I mean, I think mainly it's that it's uh, you're getting a performance difference of say five to ten percent. Yeah, the the performance and, differences are not what they used to be. Used to be like if you didn't upgrade your computer for three years, you had a useless computer. But now it's definitely not the case. Mm-hmm, right. It could also be that I was younger at the time and I cared more about my computer being upgraded. Well, also that you're gaming more on your computer. Yeah, that's also true. Though my VR box is now three years old and I don't feel especially compelled to upgrade it. Uh, what? You don't want your ray tracing? I do, but I don't need it. Like, it would be nice, but uh, I think I'm okay without it for now. Until like some until a super cool game comes out that uses it, or more likely when the next iteration of VR stuff comes out, I'll probably upgrade it. I mean, uh, also in the case of NVIDIA and their RTX, that uh, if their next hardware has less of a performance hit, when you end up turning on ray tracing. Uh, is it really that big right now? Uh, I've from what I've seen in some benchmarks, there is actually a decent hit. Oh, okay. So have we, uh, I think we've actually talked about everything. Uh, yeah. Before we close out the show, um, have you heard of the book, uh, the history of the future Oculus, Facebook and the revolution that swept virtual reality? I have not. Please tell me more. So this is sort of a dramatized history of like essentially the the founding of oculus uh it could be other vr stuff as well but if it is then i haven't gotten there yet and i found out of it i found out about it because uh john carmack tweeted uh mentioning the book saying that he had read the first half of it and said that the stuff concerning him was uh largely accurate and that he learned some things that he was not really privy to um during other developments and it's written in a very conversational style as then there's like tons of quotes that couldn't possibly all be accurate and stuff like that. But I think it is, uh, I, th- I think that the general things that are presented are accurate, just not like all the dialogue. So it's sort of like a based on a true story kind of thing, but <laughs> it's, it's very interesting. And I think that it's worth if if you have the time, it's worth you reading, and then we can discuss it later. So, as homework for our listeners, uh, read the history of of the future, Oculus, Facebook, and the revolution that swept virtual reality by Blake Harris. Then you you then sometime fifteen years in the future, when we're done reading it, uh, we we can all discuss. This is kind of like product over time. I get. Oh yeah, how, how far through the book are you? Um, book over time book over time um so my my feeling about it is it's sort of like the spiritual successor of masters of doom uh, which i imagine that you have read i actually have not read that oh okay so masters of doom was pretty famous as well i'm surprised you haven't read it how long has it been a couple years masters of doom masters of doom was first published in 2003 which is about when i read it more than a couple years, okay. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I, I sort of it. It sort of feels like the spiritual successor to that, even though it's not the same author. <laughs> uh, just because it sort of continues following Carmack, I guess. Yeah, I mean, realistically, it's uh, Carmack's next act. 
Yeah, though, I'll, from what I've read so far, like maybe f- five to ten percent of it is actually about Carmack, uh, Carmack's work. Mm. Mm. It follows more um, Lucky and Brendan Irab. Ir- how do you pronounce his name? Irabi Ir- 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 Brendan. Brendan, the CEO of Ocul- former CEO of <laughs> Oculus, um, and stuff like that. So, yay, homework. <laughs> you know, we didn't cover this week. What's that? We didn't cover. We didn't cover Doug Bowser. Oh yeah, there's a new president of Nintendo, and it's Bowser. Princesses that are working at Nintendo, beware. <laughs> This is for the replacement of Reggie at Nintendo of America. Mm. Now we just need to wait for uh, we we need to wait. Look at flight rosters coming into Seattle, looking for uh, Mario. See <laughs> see if one's coming in to unseat him. <laughs> so uh, what I'm curious about is with uh, a new head at Nintendo, like. Is Nintendo actually going to get its stuff together in the in the ways that it's not together right now? You mean like online? Like online. I don't know. I think that probably not because I don't think Nintendo of America was their problem there. It's Nintendo of mm-hmm. Japan that is, I think, preventing their online stuff from being good. So, you know what I've never really understood is like... What is Nintendo of America compared to Nintendo of Japan? Like, I, I know um, when it comes to hardware, you know, this, the hardware is done in mm-hmm. Japan. And mo- because, you know, of course, the hardware comes out in Japan first. And most of these games end up coming out in Japan first. Mm-hmm. Is is Nintendo of America just like a marketing and localization company? That's sort of like the impression that I get but i really don't know like it seems like they do a lot of relationship building um but it does also seem like yeah very markety and presentations Mm -hmm. and stuff like that they ran the nintendo serial and nintendo power divisions (laughs) so do you have any other thoughts on doug bowser not really all right so let's close out the show Thank you for listening to ALH. You can follow us on Twitter at Aliens Land Here. You can visit us on our webpage at ALH.FM. And uh, we'd love to hear from you. And please give us a review on iTunes. It really helps us. Oh, God. Don't forget to like and subscribe. So uh, tell me what you thought about the end of Donut County. Spoiler ahead. I guess the the raccoon wasn't so bad after all. <laughs> Character development. Yeah. And it only took him having his own life ruined. <laughs> I, I thought that it was all pretty funny along with the Trashopedia stuff. Uh, I, did, I didn't go back and try and figure out the the like secrets um, because it looks like there's a couple of secrets that are mentioned in the Trashopedia like the mm-hmm. way that you're supposed to move the little arm around uh, in a particular way I think gets you a secret because there, it's mentioned on the little note like do this and then there's like another secret 
uh, for the recipe, like with the salt and pepper, I believe, like because there's uh, uh, one thing that mentions do salt this many times and pepper that many times. Oh, wow. Uh, I, I wasn't even aware that those existed. Well, I'm just guessing just because based off of my reading mm-hmm. of the items in the Treasurepedia, I'm like, why Why else would they put that in there? Okay. Okay. Um, now, uh, did you do much of a fly through, you know, uh, once you ended up going through the credits and all that? I did a little bit of a fly through. Yeah. With the, uh, the first time I played uh, Donut County and I got to the fly through part, the game ended up crashing. Oh, that sucks. It, it, yeah, it ended up crashing several times. And then eventually, I think there was either an iOS update or I switched phones or there was something like that that made it where it no longer did that and I could fly around. Yeah, I didn't crash when I got to the fly around part, but I didn't really see that much that was interesting. Is there something I should be looking for? Uh, it's more it's more cutesy okay like uh, i decided you know how i am with playing games that i try to uh i try and test boundaries and try and break things in that Mm -hmm. so uh what i decided to do is i decided to fly up up and up and up and up and up and see to see how far i can go and eventually you run into an airship oh nice that's yeah like an uh, i think it's like an airship with raccoons can you go is there a hole that you can go down into or anything I didn't see that. That would be I cool. mean, that, uh, yeah, I agree. Going 999 feet down. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I mean, the way, uh, it's funny, because, like, the way the drone is, it's kind of VR-like. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I mean, it would have been nice that if you could have had cardboard <laughs> that oh, you yeah. put it on and That'd you're doing cool. head tracking and looking around. Yeah. But it it was funny to me because it felt like a completely different game mode than the rest of the game. I found a lot of the dialogue pretty entertaining. and mostly unnecessary but still <laughs> oh it's just the fact that you can't skip it i mean mm-hmm. i wish that it was like you can't skip it the first time but then any subsequent time that uh you play it that it's on your device <laughs> like say if you're playing through again if you wanted to skip it you could my, my daughter actually beat the game before i did which is kind of surprising since she's five that's pretty impressive <laughs> but she really liked it uh, she just skipped all of the dialogue. Well, tap, <laughs> tapped through all the dialogue. That's like, I can't read all of these words, but I can beat the game. Yep. Did she uh, Did she do a whole bunch of rubber duckies? Oh, I think okay. she just tried to skip it as quickly as possible. So uh, what was her favorite part? Like, uh, um, my, my guess is probably the amusement park, but I'm not 100% okay. sure. <laughs> I'll, ha- I'll have to ask her. I can ask her and then we can have follow up. I just think of the uh, the soup, like the whole roach soup thing. Oh, so gross. Yes, it was. Yeah. <laughs> Anyhow, have you actually played any more Smash since we played online? I've played a little bit more Smash, but we never talked about you and I playing online. So I guess we can we can talk about that a little bit. How how was okay. playing online with me? Uh, I suck. <laughs> you are. <laughs> You know, for you being such a terrible player, I am so much worse. <laughs> good to hear. Good to hear. It, yeah. Stroke my ego a little more. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, it's fun. It's fun. I'm just not good. I'm good against the CPU. It's kind of like um, I remember playing, you know, Street Fighter 2 as a kid. Mm-hmm. 
And, uh, you know, Street Fighter 2, eventually you start getting good at it and you know what the CPU does and you're able to beat it at the maximum number of stars. Right. What was it? Seven stars? Yeah, seven stars was the max. You're able you're able to do it without much of an issue, but then you run into a human player and you're completely terrible because, you know, say, for instance, uh, your human opponent decides to be Blanca mm-hmm. and, you know, you automatically try and snap into that same mode of just jumping back and uh, jumping back and doing a roundhouse kick, jumping back and doing a roundhouse kick. Uh-huh. And wait a minute, it's not doing the same thing that it's supposed to, you know, that it's supposed yeah. to. You're not playing like the computer. This is totally unfair. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, I did actually play a lot against actual people. So I was reasonably good at it also against people, unlike Smash, where I am apparently still horrible against actual people, at least people on the Internet. So speaking of Street Fighter 2, I'm in Vegas. I look across the street from the hotel and I see the gold nugget and I'm thinking, oh, yeah, this is uh, this is Balrog stage. (laughs) I'm thinking to myself, you know, I need to replay that. I should do a Balrog run. (laughs) Oh, jeez. Balrog was everyone's least favorite character. I remember thinking about like because like before there was what championship edition and they released mm-hmm. the bosses, uh you you only had experience fight fighting against them. So I thought, oh yeah, if uh, they release the bosses, then playing as Balrog will be so overpowered and then I actually play <laughs> as him and like, oh my god, this is horrible. <laughs> Did did you did you uh, use the game genie with Street Fighter Two? No, no, I never had a game genie. So I used the I used the game genie and I used a prodigy to find codes, and like I was always trying to find like play as bosses stuff. And you had like these things that would kind of let you play as bosses, and then there's like all these color palette shifts, and like I would go and go on prodigy and find all these codes, and then like print them out and. I can't remember if I either gave them or sold them to other kids at school. A couple questions. So say, for instance, you put in a Game Genie code to be able to play as a boss in original mm-hmm. Street Fighter 2. Um, how would you select that boss within the character select screen? It was just like a you play as this character and you get that character kind of thing. Oh, so like you select Guile and you yeah, end up getting and I, Balrog. And I don't know that you... I can't remember if... If I was able to get the boss's graphics or just their special moves, um, I can't remember. It was like really super weird. Oh, okay. Yeah. And also when it came to their special moves, was it something that you had to charge for? Like, for instance, back for two seconds forward punch? Or in the case of somebody like Balrog, Balrog would like pretty much rush you over and over and over again in regular Street Fighter 2. And it's almost like I imagine somebody pressing jab or pressing fierce so I think, and having it do the power I move. Think all the, I think all the codes did was like remap one special move to a different special move. Oh, huh. Okay. And so you could put in a bunch of codes with the Game Genie. And so you tried to put in enough codes that remapped enough things that it would be interesting to play. But yeah, this is actually also how I first started playing with um, like increased speed because you could, the people had modified arcade machines to do like turbo and increased speed glitchy kind of things. And so finding game genie codes to also like up the game speed and, and stuff like that was fun. Then there's oh, oh the, my, one of my favorite ones was uh, being able to do special moves in midair. 
So, so you put in the game genie code, and then now you could do a fireball in midair. But since you could jump immediately after doing a fireball, you could actually jump in the midair, do a fireball, then jump higher and do another fireball and go like off the screen. <laughs> nice, nice. I just remember like I was on an eternal quest to find the best way to try and play as the bosses. I mean, even uh, some of those boss characters in Championship Edition, I mean, uh, Balrog was, of course, terrible. Mm -hmm. But Vega, Sagat, and Bison were still decent characters to play as. Oh, that's another funny thing. Right after the Championship Edition was released in the arcade, uh, I would go and there was like someone that was really good with uh, Vega. And um, people, do you know the the flip that he does after coming down? Yeah, that. Oh yes, yeah. So they would do that a lot, and but then like sometimes they would start the start it, and then they would just say ah instead and get people <laughs> to like react to that and then not do it and then beat them what up after gr- that. What a great fake out! Oh yeah. <laughs> I remember being a kid and playing it at the uh, pizza factory mm-hmm. uh, by where I live. And one of the kids in school, I would play. And I mean, I was pretty good. Mm-hmm. And he was, uh, I, I'd be beating him. And then he'd start physically shoving me in oh, person. That's horrible. <laughs> uh, I played mostly at uh, a round table pizza. And mm. there was always a line. I, they must have made so much money off of that game. You know, uh, there's a burger place right by my house. You go there and there's Street Fighter 2 Championship Edition at the burger place. And I mean, it doesn't doesn't even look like one of those MAME cabinets or retro cabinets. Mm -hmm. It actually, I think it's actually an original cabinet. Nice. They cleared out all the cockroaches. (laughs) Supposedly, um, when like Gabe from Penny Arcade was collecting... Uh, arcade cabinets for his garage collection that was a problem that he ran into oh. is like bugs inside oh that's that's so awful yeah <laughs> this is this is what's preventing me from ever buying an arcade cabinet all right all right uh did you have so uh when you had the super nintendo version did you ever have the special controller that capcom did uh no, probably not, actually. I eventually just got u- really used to the Super Nintendo controls for it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I got it, but uh, what was really, really annoying about it is that, uh, you know how, like, the best analogy I can give is, uh, you know, Guitar Hero. Mm-hmm. How uh, when you end up strumming on Guitar Hero, you hear the clicks. Mm-hmm. And on Rock Band, you don't. Ah. So on this, so on this special uh, Capcom Street Fighter II arcade controller, uh, when you would end up, it ended up having this kind of, uh, you know, like clicky type feedback to it. Mm-hmm. When you ended up doing like roll, when you ended up doing like fireball motions and that kind of stuff, right? And compared to the arcade, which the arcade version didn't have that at all, so it was kind of disorienting playing playing it that way. So uh, going back to Smash. One of my favorite parts of Smash so far is the... Oh, yeah. Spoiler. Spoiler ahead. (laughs) Uh, One of my favorite parts about Smash Brothers was uh, going to that stage and having it be Street Fighter 2. Oh, yeah. That was pretty entertaining. Uh, 
Uh, I was like, oh, God, this is great. Yeah, how you would uh, go and fly around to the different locations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was awesome. Although, although um, one thing I didn't like is that I'm, I'm a stickler for music. Oh. Like, uh, so, for instance, uh, you go to the stage in, um, in Smash Brothers, and the whole Chun-Li stage is uh, using music from Super Street Fighter 2. Okay. But then you would go to other stages and it's using music from either Street Fighter 2 or Street Fighter 2 Championship Edition. <laughs> you wanted them all to be from the same version oh, of Street Fighter 2? Uh, I just wanted to be consistent. Like, okay, I'm fighting against Super Street Fighter 2 character and now I'm fighting against a regular Street Fighter 2 character. What the hell? This is weird. So I think that they just wanted to have a variety of the games represented in there. So that's why they did it that way. I think it was only the one character that had the music from the newer game. Oh, okay. I think I think the rest of them were, you know, were actual original Street Fighter 2, which was kind of this weird one-off to me. I see. But, like, the nicest touch, which the part that made me go, oh, God, what a nice touch, is you're fighting in those stages, and towards the end, when you have, like, um, 30% health left, the music changes. Yeah. <laughs> The the music the music changes to the actual fast version, mm-hmm. and I'm like, okay, what what a great attention to detail, and, and I mean it. Uh, it felt more arcade in uh, Super Nintendo Street Fighter Two and and uh, Street Fighter Two Turbo when uh, the at the end of the match or towards the end of the match, the music didn't change. The music got faster. Mm-hmm. So it was, you know, it was one of the ways, one of the many, many ways that the Super Nintendo version cheaped out yeah. when it came to <laughs> Street Fighter compared to the actual arcade version. Uh-huh. When it came to the music, the music on the Super Nintendo was entirely recreated. You know, it wasn't actually using the arcade version as a uh, as a template. So, for instance, the title music is something like half an octave lower than the actual arcade version. Uh-huh. But as a kid, I'm used to playing it in the arcade and I'm thinking, what did they do? I realize that it's different. So- uh, you know, I realize it's okay. It's okay that it's different uh, sound hardware and you mm-hmm. can't entirely 100% but, but, replicate yeah, but it. Why did they but you can it? get it to be the same freaking frequency. <laughs> you can get it to be at least the same notes. Yeah, Street Fighter, Street Fighter 2. I mean, all of those versions for, uh, you know, Super Nintendo the music sounded completely different and off key. And they even had, uh, you know, sometimes the tempo, the tempo was off key or parts of the track, parts of the track that sounded louder on the arcade version that made it more of like the primary part of the track mm-hmm. end up being quieter on the uh, Super Nintendo version. Yeah. There's just so much wrong with it. That is weird. How, what did you think of like, the music in general with the uh, smash brothers like how there's like 700 or whatever songs oh, it's just it's insane it's an insane amount of music on it yeah hearing something that uh you know is completely retro mm-hmm. and just surprising you know it's a uh it's a small joy yeah for each stage yeah and i, and I mean they had they had a lot of really good covers too all I can think of is like there were um, there's a decent amount of Mega Man stuff in there. And all I'm thinking is like, for the love of God, can't you remaster Mega Man? <laughs> so uh, have you beat the World of Light? This is more spoilers, but I beat the World of Light, but not the World of Dark. Yeah, I still haven't beat the World of 
dark. <laughs> uh, I'm a, I'm pretty close to being done with that one, though. I no longer have really much difficulty with legendary spirits. Is it you getting better, or is it you getting spirits that uh, it's, help boost it's you? Probably me getting spirits <laughs> and uh, unlocking all those skills. It, it's the game. Uh, it's the game trying to convince you that you're better when you're really not. <laughs> also, I'm playing on normal. So. Yeah, me too. I am definitely not playing hard. Yeah. Um, though, did you see the the YouTube video I sent you with Zero playing on hard with no spirits? No, I don't think I did. Zero uh, is a person who was really big in the previous Smash game, like ranked best in the world, won like 54 tournaments in a row. And it's really mm-hmm. cathartic, cathartic watching him play on hard with no spirits and get like demolished by some of the characters. Yeah. That might make me feel better. Yeah. <laughs> you should go back and find the link. Uh, though he's not my favorite uh, smash YouTuber to watch. If I'm watching smash videos for like the, for trying to like learn how to play better, there is a guy called J tails and he has mm-hmm. like these, videos where he does like a character uh in elite smash so elite smash is a mode that unlocks if you uh play online and are in like the top 3.5 percent or so oh my god (laughs) and so he goes and plays as these characters and he, he usually wins and as he's playing them he like talks about his thought process and like why he's choosing the moves that he's uh choosing like what he thinks that his opponent is going to do. And uh, because he thinks that how he's going to counter it, he makes observations about like what the patterns of his opponents are, uh, stuff like that and how he could take advantage of it. That's actually really cool. So I, I really like it. He's he, this is a J tails channel. So he has both like elite smash videos as well as uh, tutorial videos. And I actually find the elite smash videos more useful than the tutorials because the tutorials, I just like, he goes over a bunch of like moves and combos and stuff that you can do. Uh, but it's really way more useful to see it in practice when he's playing against other people. Yeah. I'll definitely check that out. Do your homework. <laughs>